0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras.
1: Hello uh, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends, and I'm your host, Keala Ross. And in this episode, I'm really delighted to be introducing you to Pat Johnson. Pat is currently an ontological trained life coach in her own company, Pat Johnson & Associates, where she coaches individuals from various walks of life who aspire to achieve more in their life. In 2010, she served as a Toastmasters International's President and Chairman of the Board, the only Canadian woman president in the organization's 93-year history. Pat uh, is truly an international uh, leader and speaker, and she has spoken in Australia, Caribbean, Germany, India, Ireland, Japan, mainland China, and all over the globe. Uh, Pat recently published her first book entitled A Handbook for Building and Sustaining Vibrant Toastmasters Program in Corporations. This is a fascinating episode uh, where Pat and I talk about uh, taking an ontological view of life, which helps you shatter your limiting beliefs so that you can start living life fully and powerfully. I hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Pat Johnson. So good morning, uh, Pat. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited and delighted that you took the time to be on this program. And uh, let me start off with how we uh, got introduced through a common friend, Gary Schmidt, who was the president of Toastmasters International in the year 2009-2010. And you are, have also been the president of Toastmasters International, and uh, it was in 2010, 2011, I I believe, uh, that's when you were the president. I believe Gary was probably a year after or a year before you. And as president, you oversaw some 300,000 active members from 116 countries, and uh, you know, And I want to get into that, uh, your amazing accomplishments and all your achievements throughout your career. But I wanted to welcome you to the show. And the first question I have for you, Pat, is uh, what's your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by and how have you applied it to your life?
2: Oh, good morning, Cal. And, yes, thank you to both Gary my dear friend and you Cal for having me on the show. Um, I've known Gary for many many years. So what is my philosophy that I live life by? A challenging question because I think that's really evolved as I've lived my life. I think when I was Uh, much younger and building a career and doing many, many things all at once and multitasking and living flat out. It was, uh, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And I felt for a long time that if I wanted anything done, I had to do it for myself. But as I matured and grew and certainly developed my career and as we talked, as you mentioned, got involved in Toastmasters, I quickly realized that uh, there's very few things that we do all alone that uh, we're much more powerful when we work as a team and I think that probably the last 10 years of my life have really been focused on me as an individual uh, loving and appreciating myself getting to know myself embracing the goofiness that's part of my personality because I'm often seen as serious and there's really this crazy kid inside of me that I love and I love to have show. So I think that uh, I I really focus on loving me and all of me and being really as authentic as I know how to be at this stage in my life. So that's continuing the evolution of being authentically me, which feels like a big assignment for me.
1: <laughs> no that is great and that's it's uh, wonderful that you share that because it reminds me of the Oscar Wilde quote it's like be yourself because everybody else is taken yeah. and sounds like uh, you know you are in touch with uh, you know your own uh values your core way of being if you will and uh, really clear on the values and the standards and your purpose in life because you've really have led a remarkable life i mean and now that i uh, you are also an ontological trained life coach uh, with your own company Uh, And uh, you coach individuals from various walks of life and who aspire to achieve more in their lives. So let me ask you more about this ontological aspect, uh, because it's a way of being. It's different from philosophy. It's different from education. It certainly uh, speaks to the who we are as human beings, if I understand it correctly. And I'm a big fan of ontological work. I've done it myself over the years. So tell me more about uh, the kind of work you do now. And what got you interested in this uh, field
2: well thanks uh, cal i'll talk a bit about what got me interested first of all because i'd worked in the corporate world and worked in learning and development uh, for my professional career both as a trainer and then organizing and running learning departments, organizational development, all the training, professional development that would go on in a corporation. And absolutely loved that work for the many years that I did it. Uh, there came a time when it was, uh, you know, I woke up one day and went, it's time to do something else. And so I took all my experience of corporate world and, and the education background and thought I will do some consulting I went off to do some consulting and did some strategic planning in as consultant and found that consulting was not my calling, that I found it much too lonely work and I really craved to have people to work with and not just for, but with and that was a big difference for me. So I completed the contract that I had as a consultant and then I went back and did some basic training, which was going backwards in my career to, you know, a a basic foundational skill that I had. And I enjoyed that, but I started looking around to say, what's the next step for me? What will fulfill Pat in her both her own um, personal development but also give back and provide value to people in the universe? What are people struggling with? Uh, How could I support them? and what would also be consistent with things that I've already done in life. So I came upon the idea, uh, actually came uh, through meditation, and I realized that coaching was an avenue for me to explore. So I started exploring that, and I knew right away that it had to have a, a, a spiritual foundation in it, that it had to be holistic, that it had to look at, our well-being, both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it had to deal with the whole beingness of a person. And that was really clear for me. And so then I started looking around at what would fill that need. And I found uh, an organization called Accomplishment Coaching. And I ended up signing up and taking their year-long program to become um, an accredited uh, ontological coach through them. So I'm an affiliate with them and uh, working with them. And so now this year I also work with them as what we call a mentor coach to train new coaches that are in the process with the company. So it's been an amazing journey with that company and in ontological coaching or ontological based coaching because we do our own work as well as coach. And one of the requirements of the company is that we have our own personal coach. And I I love this because having the background in adult education in the corporate world, I really believe that all my trainers, the people that were leading the, the events, or the training sessions in the corporation really had to be current and doing their own work so we stayed fresh and vibrant and excited about the content and didn't get stuck in our own stories and our own stops. And that's what I found in ontological coaching for me was that it wasn't just the process, but it was deeper. It was those hidden blind spots that people get stuck in their life and we don't even know what's stopping us so it might be that we go to a certain level in our career but we want something more but we just can't seem to break through or make it happen we always get stuck in the same place and ontological coaching from my perspective, allows us to look at that outside of that story, the programming, the things that we were told, the voices in our heads, the limitations that we have that say, this is as high as you can get, Pat. And ontological coaching uh, teaches us as coaches to look outside, and as people, to look outside of that story and look from the place of possibility If we just let go of all the limitations and said, what is possible? Outside of the circumstances of our life, what would we create? And then it's a whole new world. And that's the exciting work, is to see people come alive, to see that they can actually bypass those things that they can challenge those stories they can live their their life purpose they can find the their highest and best being of themselves through this process of coaching and it, it and it's just yeah it's life-changing
1: it certainly is and it's beautiful what you shared and uh, you know what uh, what i'm hearing you say is that you know, there are two ways to approach uh, your life, your career in a way. is One is that, you know, you're doing incremental improvements and the current educational system that we have in place today has its limitations as to how far you can grow and how much you can uh, really uh, expand your way of being. But when you come from an ontological approach, uh, there is a way coming from a possibility-driven approach uh, way of looking at life that allows you to really overcome and transcend the limitations that you uh, possibly may have or it could be in a blind spot that you may not even realize you have and uh, as a coach uh, having a coach that can see those blind spots and help you uncover those can be really freeing so you can be free to be and free to act
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes and you know i think that the other thing that I love about ontological coaching and, and my practice is that I partner with my clients, that we work together and, and I love that, that people find their own answers, that as a coach I really hold the flashlight and, and light up the path in front so we can step together and, and explore places that they perhaps haven't been or perhaps I haven't even been. But the the other exciting part of ontological coaching, which really feeds me personally, is that I have to keep doing my own work because if I don't if I don't do my own work and I'm stuck on, uh, say, um, example of, um, say, if I have a a scarcity mentality, it's going to be. I would say next to impossible for me to work with somebody who has a scarcity mentality and help them see abundance if I'm not doing that work or have had that work. So it's, I feel responsibility to keep doing my work with my coach so that I'm able to show up and partner with my clients. And so that's, it so feeds my, my belief in that as long as we're on this earth, we need to be, um, well, I have a need to continue to grow and expand and be curious. And I think that's the other thing that is a side benefit for me in ontological coaching is that it's all about curiosity. And it really challenges uh, judgment. There's no right or wrong, There's there's no judgment. It's looking at what are the possibilities.
1: And, uh, yeah, that's so great. Uh, so, Pat, I'm curious uh, about, uh, and I have a question for you as far well as taking a walk down the memory lane, and this is, uh, <laughs> where: what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? In other words, uh, where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood?
2: Oh, <laughs> well, um, I was, I grew up in northern Manitoba in Canada, so about central Canada and about, uh, 500 miles north of the US border so I, I grew up in a farming community my father was a businessman and um, he had a, a body shot so he was a you know he was a person that worked with his hands all day and had a had a business and had employees my mother was a stay at-home mother until I was Oh, probably out of the home, and then she worked part time as fill her life. But great volunteer in the community. I was adopted, so I had a, um, I grew up knowing that I was adopted, and my brother was also adopted. And so we had a, a different. Awareness in our lives because uh, we had been adopted. We grew up knowing we were adopted. But we had the unique situation where we were adopted into our maternal uh, family. So my birth mother uh, gave us, gave my brother and me to her sister to raise and we were adopted by her. And uh, so I grew up really super shy. I was the kid that sat in the bush, had a hideout in the bush. I was the child that rode in the back seat of the car on the floor because I didn't want to be seen. Um, I was just super, super, super shy. And my brother was the opposite. My brother was gregarious and the life of every room and knew everybody and talked to everybody. So. That, uh, and I was like that well into my 20s, very, very quiet, very shy. And that brings me to Toastmasters because I uh, was actually taking a university course and my one of my uh, fellow students suggested that I look at Toastmasters. And this was when I was in my early 30s. And I, at that time, didn't had never heard of Toastmasters, so I looked into it, and I eventually uh, joined Toastmasters just so that I would be brave enough to walk into a room where there were people. So, so I came looking for confidence and some self esteem. <laughs> yeah. So I had, you know, I lived in a in a part of the country that had four seasons, and so I grew up. Uh, figure skating and tobogganing and playing in the snow and uh, we had a cottage at a lake where we lived in the summertime and my dad drove back and forth a couple times a week to the lake to have dinner with us and so my mom uh, spent the summers with us up at the lake which was a blessed time because we had a ski boat and we had all the ski equipment my dad was very very good to us Um, i grew up a huge part of my life was in music so i par- i belonged to a a drill band we were an award-winning international award-winning drill band and performance and i belonged to a a concert band and i was a majorette and i did lots of things in music i sang in lots of choirs and Yeah, music was my life, and that's exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to go and become a music teacher to make music fun for kids in the school system. But life had other plans. (laughs) (laughs) And and,
1: and I want to get into that here a bit, but uh, let me uh, take a step back here. So you joined Toastmasters, and then... You actually went on to become the international president and the chairman of the board and the only Canadian woman, I must say, for the president of the organization's 93-year history. So congratulations. That's such a major milestone, and you're really a role model for so many others out there. So my question to you, do you recall uh, the first time you walked into a Toastmasters meeting? What was that like? How did that make you feel?
2: I, I remember very vividly. Uh, thanks for that memory, Cal. <laughs> it was in Swan River, Manitoba, in my hometown, and I had it had been suggested about eight months previously that I attend, and it took me about eight months to get there. It was in April of uh, 1983, and it was be, the meeting was being held in the basement of the church where I had grown up in. Uh, It was in the basement, and if it hadn't have been someplace familiar like that, I'm not sure I ever would have got in the building. But I went to the back door where we went downstairs to the study halls, and I I pulled the door open, and it was the heaviest door I ever opened. (laughs) And in front of me were uh, these dark concrete steps going down to the basement, and I felt like I was going into some abyss. And for, fortunately for me, this fellow came around the corner. Um, he was really tall, dark hair, had a great big grin on his face and he said, Good evening. My name is Joseph. Welcome to Toastmasters. And I went in and Joseph LaRiviere became my inspiration, my motivation for my involvement in Toastmasters while I was still in Swan River. because. Joseph recognized right away that I had a competitive nature in me, and he challenged me to reach the first designation before he did. And I took on the challenge because I said, you've been in this organization for a couple of years, and you haven't got there yet, so I think I can beat you. <laughs> <laughs> so away we went, and I did. I, I completed my, uh, what was called the competent Toastmaster at that time. Uh, before he did, but it was a great celebration and, and a lot of fun for me at, at that beginning time. So yes, I remember it very vividly. And I also remember Cal, one of the most important things to me was that that very first meeting that I walked into that I was so terrified is that they asked me to join right away. And that was, that was a moment for me that was very important that was one of those crossroads in life that you look back and go ah i stood in the middle and i made a decision Mm. and they asked me to join and i had so many questions all through that first meeting of whether i was smart enough whether i had enough education whether they liked me whether i fit in could i afford it um, what what were the requirements, what would happen to me, what would be the reasons they wouldn't want me, how did I go about joining? Like I was just full of questions and fear. And when they asked me to join, it was the greatest relief because I thought somehow I've met these invisible criteria <laughs> and, and they're going to let me into their group. Mm. And uh, so that was the start of the, of the journey. And I, I still have my original uh, membership uh, sheet that was sent to me. And it's dated April the 6th, 1983. And the president of the club signed it at that time. And that's when I joined Toastmasters. And I've been a member ever since. And I am probably, you know, I've told thousands of people this. I'm the least likely person to have ended up being the president <laughs> when I think of the woman who walked into that first meeting. So there were a lot of people along the way that supported me, encouraged me, and saw something in me that I didn't see in me at all. But they helped me see it.
1: Yeah, no, it's so great. And so go So talking about the music career so seems like early on you had this uh, passion that was about you know how can you make music fun for kids because Mm -hmm. seems like that's something that really was an important aspect to your career and what you really wanted to be so what happened there did you pursue that or what changed you said life happened and there were other plans but tell 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 us more about that how did that journey unfold for you
2: yeah, um, well, I, uh, as I mentioned, in my teens, I was in a band and I played a flute and in concert band and I was also a majorette in a marching band. I took singing lessons, I sang in lots of choirs in town. My part-time job was singing at weddings and funerals in a small town because uh, it didn't matter what church or synagogue or hall you were in, we, I could go and, and uh sing for weddings and funerals and or sing in the choirs. So I did all of that. And then as I got into high school, we started having uh, what we called uh, like folk songs. And we had a coffee house. We created a coffee house in one of the churches because in a small town, there wasn't a lot to do. So Friday nights, we would have coffee house in the basement of the church and all the kids would come by and we'd sing around sit around and sing and play guitars and all the instruments and have fun. So that was a huge part of my life. And my parents also supported me in going to uh, music camp. So I had the opportunity uh, three summers to go to International Peace Gardens music camp. That was, I imagine at the time, a huge expense for my parents. I didn't have that knowledge at the time but i would get to the peace gardens camp and spend a week there studying and while i was there i i got asked by a number of the professors that we were studying with to go to the states and study music and i didn't have enough confidence to do that i didn't have the confidence that it took to say yes i'm going to head off i'm going to go to the united states and i'm going to go to college I didn't know how to do that. And I was too shy and uh, lacking in confidence to actually ask somebody for help or that that was actually a real possibility. So I let that, I I basically turned my back on it because of the lack of confidence. I also had an opportunity to go to the Banff School of Music to study And I went all the way out to Banff, which is in Alberta, so two provinces away, and got to the parking lot and ended up sitting there for a couple of hours and then drove away. Mm. I actually drove away without going in because I actually talked myself into that I wasn't good enough, that I would embarrass myself, even though I'd been accepted. And uh, yeah, so again, just lack of confidence, lack of support, lack of um, people around me that believed I could do it and felt like I was all alone trying to do it. So I didn't do it. Uh, when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, I still continued to study uh, music and I then redetermined that I was going to put some effort into getting my degree in music and I studied with a a teacher who was 300 miles away and so I would go in on the bus and do my music lesson and then go back and uh, continued to pursue it that way although it was very expensive and very challenging because at that time I already had a 10 year old son my son was born when I was 20 and uh, I continued on the exam route and did my best and I got stuck In one of the exams that I couldn't pass, and uh, it was called oral musicianship, and it was a skill that I just was unable to develop to the degree that I needed to to get my degree in in voice to to do that in the school system. So then I, you know, at in, the thir- in my 30s thinking, wow, our voice starts to deteriorate as an instrument at about age 35. I better find something else to do. So in that period of space of time is when I discovered Toastmasters or it discovered me.
0: And I thought, well,
2: that's a good substitute. So now I sing in the kitchen, I sing in my car, I sing in the shower, and I sometimes sing on the stage.
1: That's so great, so great, Pat. That's so inspiring, actually. So, just to recap, so sounds like, I mean, there was this passion uh, about music, and you even had a lot of opportunities to pursue it full-time, and you even went to this university, and you sat outside the admissions office, if you will, or outside the school, and you chose not to go in because you just didn't have the confidence to pursue, and so... Um, uh, and then life happened with all the different events and challenges. So, and then you were introduced to Toastmasters and at that point, uh, uh, things just shifted from that point on. So would you attribute your confidence and self-esteem to Toastmasters? Is that where you actually started seeing improvements and started seeing like the biggest impact in who you chose to be from that point on?
2: It was a great it was another one of those turning you know one of those pivotal moments in life that really changes your life. I by getting involved in Toastmasters I started to gain some confidence and self-esteem and then I started reaching out beyond the club and I started going to the district level which was three levels higher going to conferences and that's when i got my first mentor outside mm. of the club and he really saw something in me and encouraged me uh, so then i took on a leadership role at the at the provincial level and i won uh, an award for the for my performance and the way i had done this leadership role uh, with his mentoring and i that sparked something in me mm. and i just started thinking um, I went, I went to Mensa and I got tested because I had always thought that I wasn't very smart. You know, now I'm talking about that old programming because nobody had told me that I wasn't smart. Yeah. But nobody had told me that I was either. So I went to prove it to myself, and so I discovered that I was pretty intelligent, and so that empowered me further. Then I started taking personal development programs. And I started learning, uh, back then I started meditating and getting in touch with my spiritual side because I was struggling at where do I fit in? What is it? Is it Buddhism? Is it Hinduism? Is it spiritualism? Is it Christianity? Is it, like what is it? Where do I fit? And all that natural exploration and so, started taking a lot of personal development programs, and and starting to see who I was, and mm-hmm. starting to recognize some of my strengths, and yeah, and it just kept unfolding, as it still does today. It's it's amazing that I so believe that when the student is ready, the teacher appears but the student also has to stay willing to learn.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I really, uh, thank you for sharing that, by the way. That's so uh, inspiring. And, you know, I, there is another saying as well. It's like when a student is ready, the teacher disappears, but when the student is really, really ready, the teacher disappears. <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah. that, that is so great. And then uh, the other point I want to make is uh, when you look back at your life, up until this point, <clears throat> you know, we've had amazing guests on the show, and they've all had, like, uh, major successes and have achieved remarkable accomplishments, but they've also had setbacks, setbacks that were, you know, devastating in a lot of different ways, and if you look at it from an external viewpoint, uh, it, it you would consider it to be a massive blow to their life, to their career, and things like that, however... These folks had a remarkable view of those events. They did not attach their self-worth or uh, personal story to that event and were able to use that as a platform for even greater successes. So my question to you is, uh, what is your favorite failure? Or what I mean by that is a failure that turned into a
2: major success down the road. Oh, Cal! That's a whole book. <laughs> I've had a lifetime of failures. <laughs> I um, I think the one that uh, I I would like to share this morning is the when I first ran for um, leadership office in Toastmasters at the district level. I had moved from Manitoba to British Columbia, and I joined a district where. It was, it was quite different than the one I had come from, but you know, the program was foundationally the same. But here I was facing all these people I didn't know. I decided that when I had moved at the provinces that I was pretty near ready to run for senior leadership. And being part of the new district, I thought, well, I'll run. And I was in this district for about a year, And I went to a general meeting and they called for candidates and there were a slate of officers put forward by the nominating committee and I ran from the floor. Now, I didn't know lots of people, but I ran from the floor and I did not win that election. Now, I had a whole bunch of internal dialogue about that. Uh, and how they didn't know what they missed and <laughs> all <laughs> kinds of, you know, conversation uh, that my hurt ego and uh, self-esteem was having this conversation. But I went away and my friend, no, that I, I went away and the next year, the person that had been elected didn't continue the next year. And I thought, well, this is perfect. I can step in to the role that he would have taken, and they'll elect me this year. So I didn't go through the nominating committee again, which tells me something when I look back on it, and I again choose to run from the floor. And I was not elected a second time in a row. Mm. And I went away and I said, well, that's all fine and good. If they don't want me in leadership, that's good, I'll just go and do some other things. So I went away and I competed and I got really involved in the local Toastmasters and worked and built new clubs and competed in contests and just stayed active at a different level. And I thought, well, I guess I'm just not going to be in leadership. Uh, Fast forward about four years and my best friend at that time was the district director of the district, meaning she was the head of the province of BC. And she, her team was elected and I was at that conference and about two weeks later she phoned me and she said, my marketing person just quit because he had to move across the country. His mom's got seriously ill. She said, would you step in? And I said, no, I refuse. I said, they don't want to elect me and so I won't take a gift. But, uh, and, and she was quite upset and I said, Sheila, I promise you this next year I will run and I will get elected next year so I went away and I ran I got a campaign manager and I ran a campaign the next year Mm. and I got elected so all that long story to say in the process what I learned was that until I believed in me nobody believed in me that mm-hmm. it all had to start with me. And not in a selfish way, but I had to believe I could do it. That I could stand up to the nominating committee and go through that interview. That I could present my skills, my knowledge, my abilities, my personality. I could present what I would bring as a leader and be willing to do that. I didn't have to sneak in or stand from the floor and hope I got the default vote. And it was such a life-changing lesson for me because I think of it probably every week of my life. That when I believe in me, other people believe in me. I love that, Pat.
1: Thank. that's really, uh, really inspiring. And so that, as you can tell, that brings up a lot of questions here for me. One (laughs) one is, uh, you know, we all have these moments and we all have these incidents in our lives when uh, things don't go our way. And then, as you said, there is an internal dialogue, or I like to call it a story that we create around it. Mm-hmm. And and you know, at, and we try it again. If we are a Type A kind of personality, we go after it. We try it again. And the second time around, if it still doesn't work, now the internal dialogue is just exponentially grown to a whole other level. It's th- so. The question I have for you here is uh, one: How do we resolve or come to terms? Uh, complete that internal dialogue so we can start believing in ourselves again and really be strategic about what it is and what it is not what would you say to what would be your advice in that situation
2: oh wow I think it's probably different or slightly different for everybody I think that the first step of change is awareness And so for me, it was to really hear my internal dialogue and I actually asked myself, who was I being? Or whose voice was that? Like who was I being when I was going, well, you don't know what you're missing? And looking at that whole um, beingness of myself, was I really giving them a fair chance to know me And was I setting myself up for failure or was I setting myself up for success? And I saw very clearly that first of all, I wasn't giving them a chance to even know me so that they could make a good, that they could choose me. And secondly, I was so frightened that they would see me and not like me or not vote for me. And that I had to be, that I just had to hear that voice and change that voice, that I was good enough, that I could present myself and it didn't mean that I didn't have flaws. It meant that I was willing to step forward and learn those positions and dedicate myself to that role. So it was being aware of the voice, listening to what the voice said, and then challenging it, whether it was actually the truth or if it was just me setting myself up for failure. And I saw that there were patterns that I would run away from things because I was afraid of them. And as a result, then I couldn't succeed at them because I didn't stay with them. So it, it was a, a long lifetime pattern that I got to challenge in incremental ways.
0: Hmm. Uh, Does that
2: make sense? (laughs) It does. It certainly does. And it's,
1: you know, it it also reminds me uh, of a distinction of personal responsibility in the sense that, you know, we are always at the cause in the matter. And, uh, you know, anything that is disempowering, you know, I'm not the source of it. For example, you know, any story I've created, all the characters I have in my story, and they're playing a certain role. It's the role that I've written for them. And... It's yeah. exactly how they're showing up, and the moment I'm willing to accept it for what it is and what it is not, uh, I can, I'm free to create a brand new story and give people the character roles that they can play. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, no, yes. that's, that's so great that uh, yeah. you mentioned that. Uh, this uh, shifting gears here, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking at your amazing background in terms of your travels, and so any favorite place to travel? what about this place you value so much
2: <laughs> <laughs> my favorite place to travel is the last place i was at and the next one i'm going to
1: <laughs> <laughs> i like that that's a nice way to uh <laughs> uh
2: you know there's an old saying that I, you know an old song i'm the child of the universe and i although I, at my core i i am such a proud proud canadian and uh I'm so proud of our country, and I'm one of these people when the national anthem plays, I cry every time. But uh, I really believe that the universe is ours to explore, and I love the intrigue of foreign travel. I love the challenge of it. I love the similarities of people worldwide. Uh, We might have different skin color. We might have a different religious belief. loved and to love we all experience sorrow and loss and we just share humanity together and that's that's what i love when i travel is to see humanity and share humanity with people wherever they are and whatever their stories are that the differences disappear and you know i my family is is small but my son married in married an absolutely fabulous woman and through marriage with her I feel like my family is now the United Nations Mm. because it's so diverse and different different uh, cultural groups and different uh, spiritual beliefs and yeah it it's amazing and we're just human beings in our humanity. And that's what I, that's what I love about travel, whether it's, um, you know, last week I was in San Diego, California, and the week before I was in Ottawa, Ontario, which is the capital of Canada. And I just, I just see people, and I, and I see the humanity and the joy and the sorrows and the challenges, and we're all the same. We're all doing the best we know how to do to create quality of life. And I think that at the foundation of that is to be seen, to be loved, and to love.
1: I I really like that. And uh, personally, for me, having uh, grew up in India the early uh, part of my uh, life, uh, and then having been in the U.S. and for the last 20 plus years, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of. getting the best of the east as well as the west and one of the things that i've noticed is regardless of whether it's the east or the west or no matter where you go people are people deep down and everybody uh wants to be understood everybody wants to be gotten if you will and they uh-huh. all uh you know want to love and be loved and make a difference yeah. and that's yeah. uh, that's so true and uh yeah. that's amazing what you shared um so i'm curious when you uh, at this point in your life, what would you say is your definition of a successful life or a good life <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, i I think that uh, I think of an old uh, story that talks about somebody walking into a, a wake or a funeral or or a celebration of life or whatever it is and 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 in this situation, the body was lying. Uh, there and they looked in and they went oh my gosh she is a mess and she is so worn out and used up and I think that that is that is a fabulous ending to life that we've given all we know how to give we've been all that we know how to be we've loved to the point where we've turned inside out and we're loved to the point that we're, you know, just welled up with that love that we've given to the world. Uh, We've lived our life purpose. We've uh, laughed and cried and that we've lived out to the very edges of our life, that we've pushed the boundaries, that we've tried things we've failed we've cried we've laughed we've loved we've lost um all of those emotions and and to just take life and just really live it live and and not to not to hang on not to hang on to the trunk of a tree but to get way out on the edge end of the branches where it's really wobbly and and <laughs> maybe not predictable.
1: Yeah, and walking the skinny branches, if
2: you will. Yeah, yeah, to be brave enough to do that and to even find them because sometimes mm-hmm. we have to go looking for them Yeah, because we don't always see them from our story, right? We get trapped in our story and uh, we believe that we shouldn't do these things and perhaps we better not do that or that wouldn't be appropriate. And I just, I think that, you know, the other thing that comes up for me, Cal, is and I haven't thought this through, but just to express our opinions, to have an opinion and express it, express it boldly. And I've, you know, in the last few years, I've had people say to me, you see everything so straightforward. And I say, I think that's fabulous. (laughs) I think that's a great compliment because sometimes there's just plain talking is, is fantastic. If somebody is being is not stepping up as a leader. How how can I support them to be bold and ask for what they want as a leader? Uh, I could, yeah, I think that that's our responsibility. That's part of our gift. If we've had that kind of mentoring and that kind of support for me, if I just keep that to myself, that's a gift that can be passed on. That can be paid forward. And that's, that's the things I want to do is care about the people, uh, share what I've learned, and it doesn't have to be done my way at all, but to, sh- but to share our stories so people can hopefully identify with pieces of them and go, wow, she can do that. I could do that. And I think that, you know, a number of years ago when I was president, I had a coach. I, I had hired a coach and she said to me, one of the things that you really want to think about as a president is, are you reproducible? When someone listens to you, someone meets you, do they actually think, wow, I could be this? And that's one of the things that I think is a real gift, is to be reproducible, that anybody can look at you and go, wow, I want to be what she is or he is. Hmm. That's such a beautiful, beautiful distinction
1: and important point there. Uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, and here's a hypothetical question, Pat, for you: If you could go back in time and talk to your young self, what advice would you give her?
2: Oh, I would tell her not to be afraid. Um. I think of, I I don't have regrets, but I have some sadness around uh, the opportunities that I was so afraid to step into. And so I would, you know, I would say, just trust the gift that comes your way and step boldly into it And, and ask for what you want and need early. So I think to... You know, under all of that is that fear. Fear is the greatest limitation in our life. Uh, fear of all the unknown, fear of those voices, uh, approval, on and on and on. And and I just think to be able to challenge some of my fears earlier on would have been uh, such a tremendous gift to my younger self. Because I think in some cases I was pretty brave. You know, when I was a young mum, and uh i was i was pretty brave but uh there's doors that were flying open and i walked by because of fear so
1: mm, not uh absolutely a, a very important point and that brings us up to the next section it's a perfect segue and just one of the questions Pat we've received from our guests from our audience here and uh, so my first question to you is uh, what was the best piece of advice you've received
2: oh 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 my goodness gracious I think Think probably in recent years it would be to be myself that that's good enough to just be myself
1: mm. and yeah. then a follow-up to that is what is the lesson that took you longest to learn
2: <laughs> <laughs> all the ones i'm still engaged in <laughs> You know, I, I've been a single for many, many years, Cal, and I think that that's a lesson that is still underway of how to partner with um, someone in life and be a life partner with someone. I think that's my continuing uh, lesson uh, that's in progress.
1: not <laughs> mm, job. And uh, the next question I have for you is, uh, excellence they say is about practicing good habits. What do you spend most of
2: your time doing today? Oh, well, I really believe that uh, living a balanced life is critical. So I meditate, I, for my spiritual, I also read uh, a lot for my mental. I do puzzles and uh, love conversation and debate and philosophical discussions, strategic planning, anything like that for my brain. I walk every day for my physical and um, eat healthy, eat healthy foods. I look after my friends and value my friends very dearly for that heart. So I think that, you know, I really look at, is my life balanced? Because I have to look after me as a leader and as a, a person in this world to be my humanity and to be my life purpose. I have to have my needs taken care of and, and have that balanced life so that I can show up and support others. So Think that you know it's the physical, emotional, mental, um, spiritual parts of me that all need feeding. I think I do a pretty good job of that on a daily basis.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's really great. And uh, talking about books, uh, what books have you gifted or reread over the years? Anything that you would
2: oh. like to recommend? <laughs> Oh, Cal. <laughs> I've had many libraries in my lifetime. <laughs> I, I am a book-crazy person. So I, uh, some of the books that I've read many times, uh, well, first of all, the book that I've gifted the most, I've, I've given boxes of these books away is uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm, one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, it's such a foundational book for so many things in life. And I just, you know, I, when I was working in the corporate world, I always had a couple of, of um, copies sitting in my office, and they always went to another home. And I would just keep buying them and buying them. And like I said, several boxes of those books have gone to different homes out of my office. And I still have a copy on my shelf that I refer to and use quotations from it. So that book is truly a foundational book. Uh, I love Chopra's The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success a Practical Guide to the Fulfillment of Your Dreams. I, I love that book. I've read it many, many, many times. Uh, every time I read it, I find something else. Something else speaks to me uh, from it, mm. which is what is so beautiful about certain books. <laughs> it's uh, come with the learner's mind, come with the beginner's mind, and you'll learn something new. Yes, absolutely. So that's been uh, tremendously gifting a book for me in my life. I um, I just discovered a new author this past year. And uh, as far as I know, he only has written two books. And uh, his name is Gregory Boyle, B-O-Y-L-E. And Gregory wrote, um, he's a Jesuit priest. And he works with homeboy uh, industries or homeboy uh, corporation in Los Angeles, and he works with with the gang members in Los Angeles. Mm. And he wrote a couple of books. Uh, one is Tattoos on the Heart, and the other one is Barking to the Choir: The Power of Radical Kinship. And Gregory Boyle uh, makes me cry. He, it's like if my if my heart was a tin can. He he's the He's the can opener. There, he just has a way of opening my heart. And I sit and as I read him, he, um, the tears just pour down my face. There's something about him and how he relates to the humanity of these kids, adults, whatever they are. So that's um, an author that I'm enjoying Susan Scott wrote a book called Fierce Conversations, and she also wrote a subsequent book called Fierce Leadership. Mm. And uh, I was certified in Fierce Conversations when I was in the corporate world and got my team certified in that training as well. And very, very powerful uh, process, uh, Fierce Conversations. And, um, yeah, that, that's great.
1: Uh, and we'll include these in our show notes so people can access it. And if you think oh, of any others, uh, just let us know and let me know, and then I'll include them as well. Uh, now, moving on to our next section, and this is really uh, the we call it the fun section. It's a rapid fire round, uh, Pat. And so, my first question for you is: Are you ready? You or me? <laughs>
2: fun for you or me?
1: <laughs> we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> <Shall we>? Go. <laughs> So the first question for you is who is your favorite music band?
2: Oh, I I love the Canadian tenors. I love a cappella singing, so any a cappella group, the um yeah, the pent- pentatons I think they are. Mm. And a uh, pentatonics, I think, and then the Canadian tenors. Those are my two favorites. Mm. Yep.
1: Great. And then uh, what's one thing you can do that might surprise other people?
2: Oh, many things. Um, I curl. So I, um, I'm a curler, which some people in the States might not know anything about. So that was often my sport. I, I curled when I was young. When we were in, in elementary school, we learned how to curl.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an Olympic sport, isn't it?
2: It sure is. Yes. And I also trained and rode horses in a show ring for many many years so that's often not known about me that I can put my leg over the back of a horse and teach it how to do some amazing things
1: oh wow that's great and uh, whose brain would you like to pick
2: (gasps) oh oh um oh my goodness gracious Oh, <laughs> that is. Uh, um, do they have to uh, living or dead? It doesn't matter. Doesn't Stephen matter. And we can
1: we can come back to it if Stephen
2: Hawking. I would oh. love to get inside his brain. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's really yeah. great. Good pick. And then, uh, what color is most prevalent in your wardrobe? Is it a conscious choice or an irresistible pull? <laughs>
2: Uh, I would say that there it's quite balanced. I would say that cobalt blue,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: is interesting because it's the energy color for communication mm-hmm. uh, and our throat chakra, but so blue, cobalt blue, and then lots of black and white. And and black and white is a conscious choice. The blue is an unconscious choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, black and white is unconscious, I think, because. Uh, lots of travel, so it's very basic, and I can always throw red and blue and yellow in with it as accessories, and then it goes a long way.
1: <laughs> That's great. And then uh, the next question is Do you believe in magic?
2: Absolutely. And
1: Absolutely. if we could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be?
2: <gasps> oh, my goodness gracious. Um, I would have loved to have seen the signing of the papers of the Confederation of Canada. Oh, wow. And our founding fathers signed the papers. I think that would have been breathtaking.
1: Huh. That's great. That's great. Uh, by the way, I had a chance to go uh, visit Victoria not too long ago and uh, really got a tour of uh, some of the government buildings out there. And it is fabulous, the history and uh, all that went in. I mean, it just is uh, mind-boggling. It's definitely a yeah. uh,
2: One of the things that I did for a hobby for a while is visit state and uh, provincial buildings, like where there, where the governments were, and did lots of that and just thoroughly enjoyed all the history and the symbolism that goes into those buildings is just so brilliant. It is, indeed. Yeah. And then
1: one final question within the rapid or fire round, and this is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, Pat, what would that be?
2: Oh... Oh, goodness gracious. Ooh. (laughs) It it would be, I think it would be, um, well, and my assumption will be that they understand deeply what it means. (laughs) (laughs) It's whatever you want it to be, Pat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I would say love yourself and others. I like that. That's yeah. really
1: beautiful. So I've just got the final th- three more questions for you here in this uh, as we wrap it up. And my first question for you is, Pat, what is your current personal or business passion project that you're working on? What are you looking forward to in the next six months or a year from now?
2: Well, I have a I have a current project that I'm working with with my own personal coach, and it's called Authentic World Leader. And under that project, it's looking for all the ways that I, Pat Johnson, can impact the world as an authentic leader. I just recently wrote a book for Toastmasters about the Toastmasters program in the corporate world. And I've just uh, done the edits of the second edition of that. I am wide open for opportunities to contribute to the authentic world leader project. And I'm just looking at all the possibilities saying yes to all the speaking engagements, uh, engaging with people and, and discussing and working to be authentic. No, that's yeah.
1: great. Really great. And then we'll include all of that Pat, in our show notes and people can find out more about you, your website, as well as, uh, any social media links as well. And, uh, The next question is, what are three things you're grateful for in life? Mm.
2: I am grateful for my health. I am grateful for all the people that love me and that I love. I am grateful for living in a land of freedom and abundance That's
1: really awesome. So I want to take a moment, uh, Pat, to acknowledge you for a few things. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, you are truly a role model for authenticity. And uh, based on, you know, just a conversation we just had, people who are listening to this can uh, concur with me. Because not only are you working towards becoming that authentic leader, but you're always looking for ways to learn and grow regardless of all the accomplishments and all the successes you've had because you strongly believe it seems like there's always a next level. And that is so inspiring to uh, hear that from you. And and at the core of all of that, uh, what I'm also getting and I'm feeling about you is that you're all about love and compassion and a contribution. And so... It's really, really inspiring to uh, you know, hear you share your story and the kind of work you're doing. It's, uh, you're a role model for all of us here. So thank you for being you, Pat.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Cal. And I acknowledge you for your generosity of spirit, for your love of people. I acknowledge you for your great a vision to reach out and connect people in this world. And I just thank you for your contribution.
1: Thank you, Pat. It really it means a lot, and I appreciate it. And again, I really appreciated our conversation today. And for everybody listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation. Access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. join us next time for another edition of the wisdom of friends.